everyone. Welcome back to an episode of Larger Than Us. Today we are talking with Hani, the founder of Kahani Digital, a digital marketing creative agency rooted in South Asian representation in marketing. Kahani Digital was founded in 2020 and is a full-service digital marketing agency with clients in various industries, ranging from food and beverage to Ayurvedic skincare to fashion to interior design. We'll be talking with Hani today about the various aspects of pursuing your passion as your career and navigating the obstacles that come with it. So welcome, Hani. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so I guess to start us off, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background leading up to Kahani Digital and how you found your passion in digital marketing? Yeah. So I started in the finance world. I was in investment banking for about a year um, right out right out of college, like a little bit later, um, a couple months after graduation. Um And at the time, I also had another business in South Asian bridal fashion, um, and I was juggling both. And as most people know, the finance industry is very uh, male-dominated, not very diverse, and not very creative. Um, So because I had done finance in college, I kind of just wanted to try it and see what would happen. Um, And what happened was exactly what I thought in terms of I... Burned out very quickly. I was working like 80 hours a week. And then I had this business on top of that. So for my physical and mental health, I would say about a year later, like exactly to the day of when I started that job, I quit the job um, without anything lined up um, besides the business. So I thought I would kind of take a break, figure it out and just kind of give myself time to rest. And I was lucky enough that I was, you know, living at home and my parents were okay with that. Um, And then in 2020, um, literally March 15th was when I got my next corporate job as the world was shutting down. Um, And it was still venture capital, but it was in the marketing space. So they needed someone who knew deal flow in finance and then knew how to market that. And because I was doing my own marketing for my other company, um, they created this position for me. And I thought because of that, like, it would be a lot more creative. I would have a little bit more freedom. But again, the finance industry is very regulated and it that's not the way it, things happen. So very quickly in that job too, I realized that like I wasn't going to find that creative freedom. Um, and it was the pandemic um, at that point. So I offered my help like to other small businesses in the South Asian space just as a freelancer to, you know, do their marketing and help them out since the world was shut down and um, that would seem to be the only way people could get their work messaging out there. Um, and so I was doing that. I was freelancing and my other company had shut down at this point um, temporarily because our production was in India and nobody was having weddings. So everything, I had more time, I like to call it. So that's what I was doing. Um, and then come October of 2020, um, I was doing these free freelancing gigs. I had this corporate job. And then my other company came back as well. And, um, I didn't have too much time on my hands anymore. Um, and yeah, the, the work in the finance space was getting hard again, mentally. And at that point, um, we, like I went on winter, winter break or winter holidays and, um, we sat down and kind of looked at my options, me and my family and, did the numbers and I realized that like I was making just as much money freelancing as I was at my corporate job. Um, and like the 80 hours a week just didn't seem worth it when I like didn't love what I was doing. So 
in the new year, I ended up quitting my job for good and um, haven't looked back since then. Um, and so February of 2021 was really when the agency like actually was born. Um, and I like to say that I like my first company was very planned. It was like I did the branding, I did the website, like I did it all in that order. Like, but this one, um, you know, I quit my job thinking I would freelance full time and then my clients told their friends and that kind of spiraled into a full roster of clients. And then I needed to make my first full-time hire and I didn't have a brand name. I didn't have a website. Um, I didn't start the Instagram for Kahani in July of 2021 and I didn't have a website till 2022. So it just was backwards, but um, yeah, that's kind of how we started. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, is there any part of you? Cause I know you mentioned like you know, um, having kind of moved away from the, the, the regular like nine to five or whatever, and now you're doing your own sort of thing. Is there any part of you that kind of misses the regularity of the nine to five, um, as opposed to freelance work, just out of curiosity? Um, I do. And I did for a really long time. I think when I was first starting out, there was no regularity, but, um, I, because I hired an employee very early on, I think I wanted to make it so that, the work-life balance and culture I didn't have when I was an employee, I wanted to fight that. So um, I made sure that my employees always had like a nine to five schedule, um, no work. And agency culture is notoriously known for like overtime work and stuff like that. But I felt I fought that pretty early on. So um, so yeah, we had a nine to five schedule um, or she did when when I hired her, she wasn't working weekends. And at the time I was, because again, I still had two businesses, but I burned out very quickly um, and I kept like I, it was a cycle of like going really strong for a couple of weeks, then burning out, then randomly taking days off because I was burned out. So once I started to notice that I like place boundaries for myself, too. So it started with literally taking one day a week off and then it moved into the weekend. And then now like we all log off early on like Fridays if we can. And like we get a proper like weekend um, and I don't check my email on the weekend. Like it was a slow transition. But um, now I think I found the balance of having that nine to five schedule um, and it ebbs and flows week to week. But I know some weeks are lighter and some weeks are heavier. So um, I, I missed it initially. The I guess the long answer is I missed it initially, but I found a way to bring it back. Yeah, and that's totally understandable. I'm sure it must, things have got must have been very um, like stressful as you started because you said like a lot of things came kind of unexpectedly or like it didn't go the way you planned. Um, yeah, I guess on, on going off of that, how did you learn to navigate that like initial like startup phase of like of starting Kahani Digital? Um, and like, how did you kind of like try to like get the reins? Like, what it, what was that process like for you? Yeah. So like I said, I never intended to start an, an agency. So I don't even know. Like, and the funny thing is like, I didn't have experience working at an agency or anything either. So I really didn't know what I was doing and I probably still don't. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle to admit that when that happens, but I'm very transparent about it. Um, so in that sense, I did a lot of Googling. <laughs> um, I think the technicalities of starting a business, I already kind of knew. So all of the legal stuff and um, the accounting stuff I had help on on the back end um, for my other company. I already had a lawyer. I already um, knew how to file and like all of those things. So I don't think those things were as hard, but I think um, 
because with my other business, it's me and my parents. So like we never had to hire an employee. And if we did, we were hiring teams in India for that. So hiring someone here and like managing someone was new. And so we kind of learned how to navigate that together. So um, even with my employees and like my clients and stuff, I think I I'm I'm open to asking for help. I'm always open to feedback and suggestions. And I think as we've gotten that and as I've like talked to my mentors, figured out random things, um, processed things, been in my accelerator program, I've like tried to apply things that I've learned, but with a grain of salt, because I think when you're when you're a new entrepreneur, everyone wants to offer you free advice. Um and you like being young also you get overwhelmed and you think you have to take all of this advice because you know like in south asian culture it's common to like take advice from your elders and like all of this stuff but i think it's important to also take it with a grain of salt and see what actually like applies to your business versus what doesn't um so i've like learned to kind of listen to everything and figure out what works and what doesn't for for me and my business at that moment that's awesome. Yeah, I know, like, like that's a really great advice that you said, because I know, like, it doesn't just apply to entrepreneurs. I'm sure, like, individuals, when looking at career development, everybody wants to have a say in how you grow your career and wants to give you advice. So that's really great to take it with a grain of salt. That's, like, really true. Um, and I guess uh, when you're, I guess I knew you were talking about it earlier, uh, when you were transitioning from your, like, banking or your finance job to starting your own business more full-time, you were talking with your family and your support system. Did you have to have any, like, difficult conversations or discussions um, in relation to that with maybe, like, your loved ones or anyone in your community? Because I know with the South Asian culture, kind of going off of, like, a traditional path is very, it's, it's a very... Uh, interesting experience <laughs> to say the least so just kind of curious to see if you had to have any difficult discussions or conversations and how you were maybe able to navigate that so if our listeners are in that kind of stage or phase of their like career they could also get some advice yeah I so I want to preface this by saying I got lucky um in the sense that my parents are very um very liberal my parents are very um understanding modern like whatever that kind of in that space um so my parents have never been like you have to do this you have to do that in fact um when I was in college I actually switched my I was pre-med and I switched my major um and that was very like you know that would normally be hard for and for some of my friends it was hard when they ended ended up not pursuing like that traditional route of like doctor or engineer or you know um but for me it was it was that I think I gave myself a harder time than my parents did. So even during that, my parents were very much like, okay, so like, wh- what are we going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I've never done anything else. So um, they actually helped me navigate that to get to finance. And then, um, and that was good for me because I ended up starting a business and it really helped. But even with starting the business, um, the first company too, my parents were more like, we should do this. I think we should like, we sh- we should pursue this. And then with Kahani, it was like a very organic, um, like when I was leaving my job, my parents were the ones to be like, I don't think this is working. And you, like they were the ones to bring up, you know, the, that the numbers weren't matching up and all of that. So so I think it was the opposite situation of like me giving myself a harder time mainly than, um, than my parents, which is funny because I don't know if a lot of people go through that. <laughs> 
No, I think that's really great because I mean, yeah, I feel like I feel like we do talk a lot about how like you know South Asian parents may you know provide a kind of a roadblock or it'll be difficult to talk to them about these kind of things. But it is nice to hear that you know I feel like there there are to shed some light on parents who will kind of guide you through those situations. I think it's very very good. To, to have that kind of so and I, I'm happy that you've had that support system I think that's really great yeah I think I mean what I will add to that is that I think that my parents did face a lot of backlash so while my parents were uh, open and um, you know accepting um, I think within my family um, they and and I never really had to face it so I got lucky but I do think they had some backlash from like like we're Muslims, so we have a big mosque community. So there, and then, um, and then with like my extended family not knowing exactly what I was doing all the time, like I, I know that they've had to face that, but they've been very, um, very I guess skilled at navigating that and never letting that like pressure of like other people um, work their work its way up to what how they feel or their thoughts. So that's been nice. That's really good. And I mean, kind of going off of that, if you could speak to, you know, people who might be listening who want to go out and pursue, you know, their passion full time and, you know, take that risky path or, or whatever, what advice would you tell them? Um, so I think recently or especially during COVID people have been very like gung-ho about quitting your job starting your side hustle and while I think it's great I think it's important to remember that like it's not easy and it's not as glamorous as it looks online and I I kind of feel like it's been glamorized so I want to like break that down a little bit because it's not it's not like sunshine and rainbows (laughs) as it's been advertised um And I think the biggest part of that is the financial part of it. Um, Starting any sort of business is very expensive um, and expensive to the point where like even if the business itself doesn't have a lot of operating costs on the back end, like you have to be very conservative with your finances early on because like it's an inconsistent paycheck, which is not what most people are used to when, when you're young and when you come out of college and you've had a corporate job, it's not like you're getting X amount of money every single two weeks. So I think that's the biggest like thing to wrap that people don't understand usually. And, um, and the finance part I will say is like, you have to figure that out early on. Um, like when you are about to start, because if you haven't figured it out, it can be really challenging. And like for some people who have, you know, rent to meet or, um, like loans or car payments and stuff like fixed payments, um, you have to know that you can be able to meet those and then the payments on top of that for your business. Um, because that's like where I think people get lost and they're, they don't do the math. They don't do the numbers and they realize that like, Oh no, what am I going to do now? Um, so I think that's important to, to look into, um, um, and know that like, maybe I have three to six months to like, try it out. My finances are good for three to six months and I can figure it out. Um, And then on the flip side of that, I think a lot of people go through battling like intense fear of like not being able to do it, the imposter syndrome of it. And like to that, I want to say that if you've been thinking about doing something for a year or longer, um, if not like even six to eight months and you've been figuring it out, I know people that like have a full on business plan that they've written up, they have names, they have branding, but they just haven't made the leap. I think in that sense, it's like, 
you should um because the worst thing is the fear part of it um and as an entrepreneur um and I can say this I am always scared 99% of the time I am always scared um the fear like never fades because it is inconsistent and you don't you're not in control um but you can't let that like set you back or hold you back if you really want to do something so yeah two pieces of like very different advice but very important no I think that's I think that's really important and you know kind of I mean kind of tying it back to Kahani Digital specifically if you could look back at the early days of Kahani Digital would there be anything you you wish you'd done differently um well I I actually I don't think I particularly have any like regrets but um I think I was also in that boat where like all of my savings had gone towards my first company. So when I quit my job, I actually had no savings. Um, and um, I wish maybe I had more because um, that would have, there were some months where we were really, really low. And like, um, you know, I was lucky that my parents did help out. But if I didn't have that, I would be screwed. Um, so I, I think that like, if I did, maybe, maybe, that wouldn't have happened in the sense of like, I I might not have had to ask for as much help as I did, but, but I don't have any major regrets because I think that also like helped me learn and helped me kind of look ahead more, um, and prioritize just knowing how much was coming in every month for like, like forecasting in that sense for like quarters. Um, so yeah. And I guess out of curiosity, I know you said that Kahani was like one of the first, I think your first company that you like hired and like grew your like team. Um, I know, I'm sure that must have had some sort of fear. I mean, in my head, I feel like, like, cause I'm like, that's like additional overhead that you have to like worry about in someone's life too. Like, how did you kind of like go through that initial phase or like get over that quote unquote fear? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm still scared of like, hiring employees and I always get scared. Um, now I have six W2 employees. So back then it was 1099s. And, um, I think it's scary when you're responsible for somebody else's like livelihood. Um, and my first employee for Kahani was a full-time employee. Like she worked 35 to 40 hours a week. She was 1099, but still she was like full-time. Um, and I never, like, I didn't start with like hiring an intern or hiring someone part-time. So, I really just kind of like bit the bullet and jumped in and um, and yeah, I was just like constantly scared because I was responsible for somebody else's like livelihood. So um, and I still am. I still like, you know, every two weeks payroll comes around and for whatever reason, I still in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to make it. And even even though I am, but like it's still an inherent fear because I think I just like deeply feel that like. Like, I, I think in a corporate company, you don't feel like you matter as an employee because you're just kind of, like, in the hamster wheel of it all. Um, but in my company, I think every person matters so much and, like, means so much. Like, every one of the six people have such an integral role. And I, I like, feel that to my core. And, like, if, if someone was not there, like... At, even if someone's out of the office for like and next week we have a week where like two people are out of the office like we're gonna feel it and so um when it when it comes time to hiring and like payroll and all of that stuff I really do feel like everyone's such a a piece of the puzzle um if that makes sense 
Oh, 100%. I totally get that. Yeah, like with and I think that's super important. I think that makes I think that makes you like a really good leader cuz oftentimes we get lost in the sauce <laughs> in corporate the more corporate world because like like you said, we're just another paycheck. We're just another we're just another being on like their um on their list and like that's really important that like yeah, even the, they make a big impact for your company, but it's like really important that at least like you care more than that rather than like I know like a lot of times in this layoff season, it's like really hard cuz CEOs rather keep their paycheck than like reduce it to like save like their employees. So I think that's really important, I guess. So that's that's really good. Uh, kind of shifting gears into like uh, sort of like the next question, like how do you think as a community we could be more encouraging to um to people to pursue their passions full time? Kind of thinking like our peers, like one of each other. How can we be like change that type of mindset of like kind of like being open to trying new things and trying to like kind of have those types of conversations? Um, that's a great question because I feel like when I started my, even my first company and then Gahani full time, um, a lot of my friends were confused. Um, I think confused because both spaces, they didn't really know much about, but, um, but I think when you, when you start as an entrepreneur, you unfortunately have to know that like, there will be people like that and there will be people like that, that maybe don't stick around. Um, and I hate to put it that way, but like, I had to learn that the hard way the first time around. And then by the time I started Gahani, I already kind of knew to expect that. Um, and so it hasn't been easy, but it because there have been a, like a lot of, not a lot, but like a few friends that have been in my life for like years and years that aren't in my life anymore because of my job, unfortunately. Um, and because they don't understand it or they haven't taken the time to understand it. Um, but I think if you... You, you learn to build up a thicker skin. Um, I think being an entrepreneur like does teach you that whether it comes to like facing rejection in terms of like clients and customers or like in in your personal life. Um, and so that's something that like that happens and it does get easier over time. And I think um, that's just like one thing to remember. But like in terms of people that like aren't, aren't entrepreneurs and are facing that in you know, with their friends, I, I think there's other ways to support besides like your dollar. Um, even though like, that's a great way to support, um, you know, even sharing your friends like stuff on social, even telling people about it. Um, it really goes a long way. And, um, and I think that's where the gap is that some of my friends like just didn't know how to help me. And, um, they didn't realize that like, even those little things like mattered. Um, I will say my first company, um, I didn't have people that I knew in my life, like, or my friends purchase something from me, like, until they saw that, like, other people were. So I don't know, for whatever reason, like, credibility among, like, friends can be a tricky thing because they will see you, like, get hyper, like, clout and then come to you for whatever reason. I don't know why that is, but I've seen that time and time again, so... So there are people like that and you just have to like that that's just something that happens but but yeah I think for other people it's like sharing on social um telling people about it word of mouth is the most powerful marketing like that helps so so much. So I think that's something that like listeners who maybe have friends in the entrepreneurial real space wow I can't talk today. Um, <laughs> they might um get get help from like doing stuff like that um okay
Okay, yeah. Um, I guess as I know with with your with Kahani, you're pushing to have more South Asian representation in the creative space. I think with that mindset, and as you take on more clients, do you see like the like the dynamics, social dynamics changing, where maybe those individuals will be more receptive? So like maybe get on the train before the cloud comes, <laughs> or, or or like just kind of join in a little earlier. I hope so. I think what's been nice is like. Um, since I started Kahani, people have started to look into and I and I think the culture of social media has shifted as well as I've started Kahani is that like we're leaning more towards authenticity, small business, like um, supporting small businesses like that's more out there and people are more vocal about it and even like sustainability. Um, so on where product actually comes from fast fashions being like canceled. Um, so things like that. Um so I think every time I post about a brand, um, people actually like come in with and not even friends, but like people that just follow me, um, like acquaintances and things like that. I've I've really been surprised who I've heard from in the last couple of years, but people are genuinely interested in like, oh, this is cool. What is this? Or like, what's the story behind this brand or like, what's the story behind this product? Um, and I think even in the realm of like, as I've grown Kahani, I have gotten, you know, packages sent from different brands. And um, that's given people the opportunity in my personal life to like try these things that they've probably either never heard of or have never come across. And they've been exposed to like a lot of different brands that they like now know and use and tell people about. So I think that's been my favorite part because through me, um, these brands have gotten exposure to a larger audience that may not have known about them, but now supports them. That's awesome. And, you know, as we talk about, as we kind of shift gears into, you know, South Asian identity, that kind of stuff, um, we bring up a lot on our podcast about um, that, the idea of like dual identity um, and, and specifically in our personal lives. But could you tell us kind of your experience of having a dual identity of South Asian American and how that kind of impacts your work um, and, and, how, how that might impact your work. Yeah. So for me, when I started Kahani, I was pretty transparent about the fact that like, I am working with US based clients, um, for the most part, US, Canada, or like Europe. So like Western clients, right. And I think a lot of them do have that dual identity. And um, being a South Asian owned business in the US, um, you're targeting not just the South Asian demographic because it's a minority. You you want to be, from a business perspective, you want to be open to selling to the broader majority. Um, and for example, there's a couple of my brands like that are beauty brands or candle brands or like home decor that it's not necessary that a South Asian purchases that product, right? They, they're universal for a lot of people. So I think the messaging behind Kahani was pretty clear of that like, Yes, we work. We're the only agency that works with South Asian owned or founded businesses in the U.S. But what we help with is digital storytelling. So we want to tell your story in a way that like it stays true to your roots and like what the inspiration behind the brand is. But it resonates with the broader audience so that like you do get that business from like non-South Asians, whoever that may be. But they still can connect to your story um, and they still have something that that connects, whether it's like them having a memory with their mom or their grandma or, um, or something similar. 
Yeah, like the impact is universal. Yeah, that, that that totally makes sense. Out of curiosity, when you were working in like the financial space or like in your like traditional nine to five before Kahani, what what was the I guess how did what was the dynamics like? Would, did you? Because I know you, that was kind of like a critical factor for you in terms of switching or pivoting out of that. It was the how was it? I guess more traditional to what we think about with corporate America for you. Yeah, um, I was working like eighty hours a week. Um, I was very much like the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and my second company um, that I was at before I finally like left was a little bit different because my team was all women, but it was still all white women. Um, and I was the only person of color on that team. Um, and then within that company, like all of the partners were also mostly white men. Um, if not, like maybe there was one woman, woman and she was also just, she was white. Um, no, no women of color. Um, and then my first company the, that I was working at out of college, it was entirely like all male. Um, and it, I was one out of seven people and all men, um, very traditional, like military background. Um, and, uh, even though I was like the financial analyst in that team, um, it was it was sad because like they flat out told me that like I was not allowed to like be in a meeting unless like the client was like South Asian or something. So like oh, I was yeah. running and getting coffee and if the client was South Asian, I was in the meeting because like, you know, then they were more likely to ask me questions or talk to me and the questions wouldn't even pertain to my job. They would be more like, you know, where are you from? Where are your parents from? What, like, and I was just like, this is, so like the first one I think was a little bit more jarring. The second one was still like, I thought it would be better because I was working with women, but like they also didn't seem to understand and they would, um, and I like that year that I was at that job, I worked Thanksgiving day until late. I missed a Christmas party at home with my family. Um, a day that I was like blatantly out of the office, they still called me in. Um, so like no respect on boundaries or anything. Um, yeah. So, um, the culture was just, the culture was a huge part of what, why I left. And I think if the culture had been better, the work was enjoyable and I did feel like it was learning a lot, but you almost couldn't see past that because the culture was so bad. Gotcha. Yeah. And I totally get that. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I guess for, for those situations where like it could be too toxic or you don't really see like a kind of like a future in that space how do you how would how do you typically how could you get yourself out of it out of curiosity um i know like you've shifted to entrepreneurship but just like in general for like career development if like an individual is like stuck in that way like how they could they get themselves out of that situation for themselves i think building your network is important in any career um and I think even as an entrepreneur, I think because I had that network of like when I quit, I had like clients that told like their friends and stuff that inherently is networking too. So like my my business, I, I've always said that like me personally and my business personally, like opportunities have come because of networking. So foundationally, I feel like um, in any career, it's important to do that. And it can be as simple as like, it, I, I mean, I think social media has made this easy in the sense of like finding people that you either resonate with their story or like just think that they're doing something cool um, and you're able to just DM them or um, find their email online and just send them an email. I don't think there's any harm in that. I, I get cold emails all the time, too. Um, so 
it's funny to be on the other side of it, but I remember being so scared initially, like in college of like doing that. And I always was like, oh my God, I'm going to bother someone or like whatever. But in reality, like the worst thing that can happen is they won't respond. Um, And that's not really the worst thing, right? Like, so, um, so I've said that a ton where like, if you never know where and, and networking isn't like, in like, you shouldn't be doing it just to like, lead to an opportunity. I want to preface it with that because there are people that do that. And it's very um, transparent, you can see it. I think the relationships that actually matter and like, that help you along the way is like, the ones that you cultivate without even like expecting anything in return. Um, and just like talking to someone. So I can't tell you guys how many times I've had to like, like I've been the first person to do something in like a networking relationship. So then the the second time around, like someone's like been able to help me, but that's because I like without them asking or anything, I help them with a certain opportunity. So it's like, you always have to see it from both sides and it is a two way relationship. So I think that's the biggest one is that if you're stuck in like a bad space career wise, or even, even if you aren't and you're like curious about a career, you never know. So constantly being able to expand your network has been really key. Okay. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, we know that's the type, like you've also mentioned it too, how challenging it can be, like, especially if you're like the only one. Um, and so I guess, could you talk a little bit about like, if you like experienced imposter syndrome and how you typically, how you navigated that, uh, and how maybe if it did like change from when you started out in the industry to a more like now that you have a few years in your belt and you're now in a leadership position, if, if that um, feeling of imposter syndrome has changed or how you've navigated has changed? It has, but I think that imposter syndrome never goes away, um, unfortunately. And I thought it would, but it's somehow, because honestly, there's always someone out there doing something better, right? Like the world's, like it's a huge world, it's a huge landscape. And like with social media, there's always someone inherently that you might think is like oh my god they're doing something so cool I'm not doing that or like there's always that feeling of FOMO um especially being in the in the social media and PR scene like um there are so many events there's so many parties there's so many there's so many things that like I do get invited to but there's so many things that I don't as well um and uh I think what's been helpful is like kind of just taking a step back and just like focusing on my own stuff. Um, I, I think what people like one of the misconceptions about working in social media and working in PR is that the coolest part of the job is like the parties and the events and stuff. But I think actually like for someone like me, who's mostly like, I like to say that I am introverted for the most part. Um, my job's taught me how to be extroverted so I can like turn that on. But but I like my, I like being at home. I'm very much a homebody. So like those events and like those parties can actually be the most triggering for imposter syndrome. Um, and so it's not the most glamorous part. And sometimes you like, when I'm going through it, where I'm really feeling that imposter syndrome, it's just better for me to sit that one out um, instead of going and like making it worse. Um, and so I think I've learned to, identify when I'm going through that like valley um and figuring out like okay what is it that I need um 
And sometimes I'm not able to because, you know, for my employees or for my clients, I have to be on. Um, but I've learned to find find out like, okay, like how can I make this better for myself in this instant moment? Whether it's like bringing a friend to an event or, um, or like taking an hour out of my day to like go get my nails done or something like that where I'm like unplugged from my phone. Um, because I also think social media makes the imposter syndrome worse. Um, and for someone who works in social, there's like, there's no escape almost because social is always on and you constantly have to like be online um, for my clients. So like even taking a break in that sense has helped, um, has helped combat that. Yeah, I, I think I, I can see that. So kind of out of curiosity, like I know another issue that kind of circulates around being a woman in a corporate sort of environment or a career woman just in general, um, oftentimes you're kind of expected to juggle many hats um, with work and personal responsibilities. Um, how do you see our community expectations affect the way women in our community view their career aspirations? So I think that's like, that's something that I still struggle with too, but I think you're, I think your surroundings really play um, play a factor in this because um, my I think my friends and my family that are in my immediate inner circle they've like they've actually like identified or told me like when when that's happening where I'm like trying to do too many things at once and they've been like hey stop for a second um, I think as I talked about before we're like there were people in my life that like really didn't understand my job or like weren't understanding towards like how how my day to day really went. Um, and for them, like, honestly, it was like they were adding more of that pressure into my life to like make sure I did it all. Um, and like there would be friends like, for example, if I like if I had a call day go over time, um, which happens actually a lot where like. I randomly get calls added to my calendar um, and it's like sometimes after five or something and um, or like some something happens with an employee they need me to get on a call about something like random things happen um, and I would have friends that would really just be like like that would go down the guilt trip route of like you don't care about me you don't care enough to like make this happen or like this that and the other and, like, once those people were out of my inner circle, it made it really be- a lot better for me mentally because the friends that I do have, like, if I'm running 10, 15 minutes late from work, they'll be like, yeah, totally fine. We understand. Or um, or if I, like, tell them that, like, hey, I've had a really intense call day, they'll be like, okay, do we want to switch plans? And so can I come to you? Um, and so... And, and they've been pretty receptive of the fact that, like, because of my travel scope going up for work, um, I haven't been in town for, like, like as many birthdays as I wanted to be or whatever. But I think what's nice is, like, all of my friends know that, okay, if it's a happy occasion, like, she might not physically be there. But, like, when we're going through something, we can still call her or we can still rely on her because she'll always be there. Um and like that's what I think is important to surround yourself with people that get it um, and that are willing to give you like the grace of like things are hard. We're OK with that. Like we'll we'll be there if you need us. But like we're not going to add extra pressure because because um, people have tended to do that previously. Um, and so I think 
your um your inner circle really matters and the women that feel like they have to do it all like it is coming from the the pressure is coming from other people um unfortunately and that's what sucks about it yeah no i i completely agree i think definitely a support it's a, a support system that will understand your situation and will support you in ways that um in, in times when um it's needed is i think very important and well well put um i guess Kind of like going back to Connie Digital as a final question. What is your vision for Connie Digital? How will it grow from here? Where do you see it going in the next, you know, five, ten years? That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I say it's a tough one because I think that like I never really picture like I start every year off with like what I like to call my delusional goals because I don't really think they're going to happen, even though like I'll work as hard as I can. And for whatever reason, um, like last year I had zero people on payroll when I started last, the last year. And I was like, okay, my, by the end of the year, I'll have one. And I had four by the end of the year. So like, it's like really funny to think about like what I start the, even the year off with and what it ends up being. Um, but I think, Overall, my team and I really just want, um, you know, want to create a community around South Asian founders and creatives. Um, we want to create that support system because, yeah, in South Asians, like, it's, I think it's hard to find a community that will support you, unfortunately, even though, like, we are all South Asian. It's not very, like, supportive um, oftentimes, and I've heard that from so many entrepreneurs, Um so we want to help people find those those people in their network that they can call up when they have problems going on in their business or like need need to vent or like, you know, things like that. Because um, that's the community we've created around our clients. And I feel like expanding that is the way to go. Um, I think that's like the broader goal. But like specifically, we want to get more involved in like corporate spaces and changing that framework for South Asians, creating more communities in those corporate networks whether it's through the volley events or through eth events or what have you um and also creating um more meaningful corporate like outward facing campaigns around south asian culture and um and creating less like cultural appropriation where where it can be bringing in like experts that like are from the culture and know what it's about um um and so changing that landscape as well um and so we're just I guess, kind of looking to create change when it comes to South Asians across the, the I don't want to say across the country because I want to, I want to be broader than that. So across the globe. That is super exciting. And I can't wait personally to see how the impact that you will have and also Kahani and it's all going to be great. And I'm very excited. <laughs> um, yeah. And so thank you so much with that. That kind of ends our episode. So thank you so much, honey, for sharing your story and giving us like your experiences and advice. Um, listeners, check out the episode description. You'll be able to see the website and you can also spread the word about Kahani Digital. So thank you again, honey.